This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 16, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. It was a dramatic turnaround. Barely a week after defending earmarks, the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is supporting a ban on earmarks. So what else might we expect from a House and Senate invigorated with the energy of the Tea Party movement? Matt Kibbe is president and CEO of FreedomWorks. He says fiscal conservatives and libertarians should expect a lot from the lawmakers who have pledged to pursue smaller government. There is a trend, and I think a lot of people point to John Boehner as being a, uh exemplar of this trend, and that is you come to Washington as a fighter, somebody who's uh, ready to go to war over uh, big, important issues, but maybe by the end of your first term, maybe by the end of your second term, eh, maybe you're not so much interested in those things. You're more interested in, in hanging on to your power rather than to, to get things done. The Tea Party movement brought a lot of energy uh, to Washington. Uh, how do you keep people from uh, reverting to trend, as it were, here in Washington? Well, there is, in fairness to members of Congress, I, I know a lot of guys like John Boehner who probably are more sympathetic to the cause of limited government and individual liberty than perhaps he gets credit for. But when you work on the Hill and when you deal with all the special interests that are attracted to all the money and power that, that we dole out here in Washington, D.C., you get, you get beaten down. And the whole purpose, the strategic purpose that the Tea Party represents is the possibility of actually providing a counterbalance to all of those special interests, a constituency for freedom, and to, to actually have the potential to have a constant stream of constituents coming into your office actually asking you to do less and thanking you when you do less. And that is, that is the core of this revolution because it is quite difficult to have constituents come to your office and ask for something. They want a special favor. They want an earmark. They want this. They want that. So if we can offer that counterbalance, you're, you're looking at a way to buck up the guys and women that have those values and to bring the people in the middle who may not have any values at all to, in your direction because it's good politics to do so. There has been a fairly recent uh, change, which I don't think a lot of people necessarily saw coming. Mitch McConnell uh, from Kentucky on the floor of the Senate saying that he supports a, a ban on earmarks. That doesn't add up to a lot of money, but it certainly it's a symbolic victory before the new Congress even uh, fully takes shape. It's a knife in the heart of the culture of spending because if you're fighting on an appropriations and you have an earmark in that bill – the chairman essentially owns you. And so you can either pursue your earmark or you can pursue fiscal responsibility. It's very difficult to pursue both. So by taking out this earmarking for political purposes, this whole culture of doing so, I think we have shifted the focus of the entire Senate, the entire House, on the, the purpose of reigning in spending. And that's step one. It does not change the numbers, but it changes the culture. Cato Institute's uh, Chairman Emeritus William Niskanen has done a lot of work on uh, gridlock, uh, that is having one party control uh, one chamber of Congress and the, having the president of the opposite party, how that tends to lead to uh, lower spending. How do you make that uh, process, that dynamic, even more effective in, in, uh, in Congress? Well, his research really focused on the Republican takeover in 1995 
and President Clinton as as the penultimate example of of, of a split of split power producing fiscal responsibility. One one key component to that was an energetic house. The house was driving the contract. The house was driving for a balanced budget. You had a very active House Budget Committee chairman. I think with this incoming freshman class and with the incoming House Budget um, chairman, you have that same dynamic again. You need to have somebody willing to push the ideas of fiscal responsibility, willing to actually put spending cuts on the table. And, and we will see that again, they, that the question, and it's an open question, and a lot of people have opinions about this, is whether or not President Obama comes back to the middle like Bill Clinton did. And we'll see if that happens. You recently had a, an orientation session for uh, willing new members of Congress. What what kinds of things would you would you focus on for for these people coming to Washington, many for the first time? Well, we talked about three different types of things, and and the first and most important was making sure that there was a pathway, a connection between the activists on the outside. Um, the Tea Party movement that had pushed the contract from America, which is a, essentially a Tea Party manifesto of, of specific legislative initiatives that they would like to see these candidates pursue. Most of these candidates signed on to this. Uh, the vast majority of the incoming freshmen signed on to this document. And it's a roadmap for what needs to be done. So imagine the possibility of these young legislative entrepreneurs picking up pieces of repealing Obamacare, picking up uh, specific spending cuts, uh, offering legislative initiatives and then connecting that back to a constituency on the outside that can push that. That was the first thing we talked about, to make sure that they understood to the extent that they were willing to stick their necks out, to the extent they were willing to take on special interests, that there was a constituency on the outside that was going to own that responsibility with them. The second thing we talked about, which we thought was pretty important, was, was basically an introduction to Austrian economics and market process theory public choice economics, which explains to them exactly the buzzsaw that they're walking into as a freshman member, and particularly monetary policy, because we see um, more aggressive oversight and congressional um, challenges to what the Federal Reserve is doing is becoming an essential issue if we're going to have economic recovery. Politicians, I think viscerally, at least successful ones, just uh, in their gut understand public choice, uh, but they don't know really how to formalize it. And I guess freshmen uh, members of Congress, uh, maybe at the state level, they understand sort of how it works, but the, the scale on which it exists in Washington, it's just a lot more complex. Well, you come into this process um, somewhat naive. I, I think virtually every member of Congress comes to town thinking that they're coming here to make a difference. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the great mythologies, for instance, is that the business community is pro-free enterprise. Once you get here, you discover that the business community is very vested in carving out um, favors, carving out um, regulatory um, biases that punish their competitors, all this stuff that they actually do. And if you don't understand a little bit about public choice theory, you're surprised when you see the pharmaceutical industry embrace government-run health care. But once you understand public choice, you can sort of weed between the rhetoric and see what's actually going on there. 1995 was a big year for Congress. There was, an, uh, as you pointed out, a, an invigorated uh, new Republican House majority. A lot of people are expecting bigger things from uh, uh, this new House majority infused with uh, the energy of, of the Tea Party movement. What 
should uh, fiscal conservatives and libertarians be hoping for in terms of smaller government in in these next two years? Because this whole movement, this election, the shift in public opinion away from big government and for fiscal responsibility and individual freedom was driven from the outside, literally from the bottom up, from the Tea Party movement. That's That suggests that there's a potential to do a lot more than we could get it done in 1995. And there's a sustainability to this. And we got to make sure that, that we support that community, that it stays on track, that we all own a little bit of the responsibility of moving forward. And if we do that, the potential is huge. The potential is not just to uh, get a handle on spending, not just to repeal Obamacare, which is definitely not a two-year process. It's a four, six, eight-year process. Uh, we have a potential to do that, but understand that as, as constituents, the founders expected us to participate, expected us to hold congressmen accountable and, and actually support them when they stick their necks out. And that's, that's the challenge, that's the opportunity. And this, 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 this Tea Party movement, from my perspective, is very much a small L libertarian grassroots uprising against big government. And, and we need to do all we can to nurture it and to grow it and to sustain it. Matt Kibbe is president and CEO of Freedom Works. You can read more on the Tea Party movement in the next Congress at Cato.org. <laughs>